You're listening to Look at My Records. This is episode 162. For this edition of the podcast, Deanna Delandro joins me as co-host for a conversation with Philadelphia musician Dante Robinson. Robinson, who is a member of the group Vague Advice, got his solo career underway in 2020 with the release of two singles and an EP entitled On a Hotel Bed You Paid For. The EP hones in on a dense indie folk sound with contemplative lyrics that blend Robinson's real-life experiences and emotions with elements of fiction. During our interview, we chatted all about the recording process behind the EP, what it was like working with his official backing band, the It's Lit Band, what inspired all of the tracks lyrically and how Dante's been spending his time recently. Plus, Dante picked some great records from my record collection, and we really had a great conversation about what an awesome lyricist Courtney Barnett is and the influence that Bright Eyes has had on his work. We'll dive into our interview right after the jump. If you're interested in hearing more episodes of Look at My Records, they're available on all streaming platforms. Please remember to rate, review, like, and subscribe on your platform of choice. I also encourage you to check out the Look at My Records website, where you can find reviews, premieres of new music, playlists, and a whole lot more. Check it out at lookatmyrecords.com. Hello, everyone. Super excited for this edition of Look at My Records. I'm joined by wonderful co-host Deanna Delandro, and we're here with Dante Robinson. How are you, Dante? Good. How's it going? Great. You got a cat there, I can say. Do. Look at that she cat. She wants to be a part of every, um, every press uh, type of thing I do. Yeah, we need the That's cat good. on the mic. Yeah. She should be. What's <laughs> what's that cat's name? Her name is Rim, R E M as in Mary. Nice. Any relation to the band? No, I get that a lot. It's usually either the band or the or the sleep thing. Mm-hmm. But she's actually named after a character in my favorite anime, which is Trigun. Mm. Nice. <laughs> yeah. I wonder if now Michael Stipe gets that question from anime fans about <laughs> REM. That's or pretty, that would if, be Yeah, because they definitely are about the rapid eye motion yeah. of sleep. My favorite part of sleep, absolutely. I have to say. Oh, hands down. Hands down. So it's where you get rest and rejuvenated. Oh, yeah. It's the best part of the sleep cycle. Type. Not to mention dreams, which I happen mm-hmm. to be a big fan That's, of. Dreams happen in rapid eye movement because you're looking straight at your fucking brain. <laughs> you heard it here first. Seeing what's in there. <laughs> Those are the technical terms. Yeah. Right. yeah. Fucking brain. Exactly. <laughs> so in enough, there. enough about sleep. We'll do that <laughs> later in the day. Dante, you put out a great EP in November. It's called thank On you, a Hotel you. Bed You Paid For. Released in 2020. Probably one of the most interesting and unique years to put 
new music out into the world. Ooh, and yeah. not really in a interesting and unique in a good way, <laughs> kind of like a bad way. Yeah. So what was it like for you putting out new music into the world during a global pandemic? Did the pandemic delay the release at all? What were the dynamics surrounding uh, you putting out this new EP? Yeah, so the uh, the pandemic did, to a certain degree, um, delay the release, largely because it delayed the, um, kind of delayed the opportunity to track further. Um, there, were, there was a possibility that there would be more tracking, and that kind of fell through. So then that affected what the mixing process would look like, and then there were a few changes um, uh, in the mixing and the mastering. So in a way, it delayed it indirectly, um, but then there were some other factors at play too, which um, we ended up deciding to go a different direction that was a little bit more responsible for the delay. Um, but even in a more general sense, I think... Um, like you said, just releasing music during the pandemic, there was like a lot of, I think, brainstorming of, oh, is this, you know, I guess this is kind of weird or difficult to do. I doubt really labels are going to be looking to <laughs> sign like yeah. un undiscovered artists in, in this landscape. And then there's, you know, oh, but at least maybe people are going to be home and, and listening to more music because a lot of people are out of work. So conclusively speaking i honestly have frankly no idea how the pandemic affected the release but it certainly did stir up some i guess anxieties and curiosities about kind of like you said what does it mean to to release music right now yeah I think. and so was this something you had partially tracked and then you had to stop the recording process because of lockdown things like that and if so, how did that affect your kind of relationship with the songs and how you eventually envisioned them sounding? Yeah, I think that as far as that part is concerned, um, the tracking was meant to be done. <laughs> we uh, yeah. were at a place where all of the tracking sessions that we had scheduled were fulfilled. And then there were maybe listening back to the mixes, there were kind of um, some some changes that that we were looking for, or some additions that we were looking for, that kind of put me in a position to want to get back into the studio. So it, the tracking was supposed to be finished, and everything that we set out to do, uh, we'd done. But when we were sitting with the mixes, we realized that there were some some things that we either wanted to change or add. Um, and our ability to do that was limited um, by the time we realized it. Um, so kind of very much related to that, we ended up deciding to go a different direction for direction for the mixing. Uh, and there was some additional tracking by uh, Adam Chakotsky, who uh, I've worked with in the past uh, on a bunch of different stuff. Um, so that ended up in that way and ended up shaping how the release um how the release went since we decided to go with him and he ended up adding some additional instrumentation um and stuff like that was it was it difficult coordinating with the the band no not really to be honest everything that we we had needed 
uh, from them was was pretty much was pretty much tracked. Looking back, there may be one of one or two things that you know it might have been worth it to to retract that we could have ended up going that direction had the pandemic not started. Um, so in retrospect, we may have ended up getting some of our musicians back in the studio. Uh, but in reality, I, it wasn't really difficult to because we had done all of that tracking beforehand. So that wasn't so much a problem. What, what I'm interested in hearing your perspective on something you had mentioned a couple of minutes ago was the change in direction after listening to, I guess, the original tracking before you had to stop. You know, listening to the EP, it really has this nice, dense, full uh, indie folk sound. So I'm curious of what you felt was that change in direction that you weren't hearing on the original uh, mixes or the original uh, finished product, so to say, that you tweaked and then decided, hey, this is now what I want it to sound like. Yeah, and I, I think that's what that's what it ended up being. It wasn't as it wasn't full enough um, for me, um, and I think that comes down to a matter of experience because uh, the gentleman who uh, tracked it really, really great at what he does, but he is relatively new to the game. So I think that there are different um, ways of making something feel full in the way that the way the, the instruments sit together, how many instruments are there really. And I think that when we had left the studio, we just didn't have enough to make it feel very full and i almost kind of i was really kind of obsessed with kind of getting into this almost big band like uh, nice. interpretation of the of indie folk so you hear the mandolin on on a lot yeah. of those tracks and the saxophone um and the midi violins and stuff like that that was actually something for example that ended up coming um from adam chakotsky um in bastion blues the the quote-unquote violin um, so just different little things like that and making everything feel really full uh, and well-rounded and having this kind of um, uh, big band feel to it. Uh, maybe big band is the wrong word. It might be using the wrong word there. But um, it was just lacking a little bit of that in the original version. And kind of like we said, we didn't have the option to get back in the studio and add these layers yeah. that we would have liked to um, that we would have liked to see in there. Um but it still has then this there was massive atmospheric quality to it. Like I think you still reached your your goal. I would say, at least as a listener. And, and I think that that was a product of once it got into Adam's hands. Um, I think he added some kind of instrumentation um, to pretty much every song. So at that point, it wasn't just about what are the additional instruments that he added. As much as, okay, what are the additional instruments that he's added, plus how can he mix it now and make these different elements sit in relation to each other? And he's, he's you know, a wizard, and he's been doing this for quite some time, and he's worked on a lot of really, really incredible records. Um, so I think that he was able to add, yeah, maybe add a couple instruments here and there, but really at the end of the day, he was able to take what he added and take what was already there and mix it in a way that felt really full and really cohesive so yeah it sounds awesome so what was the kind of back and forth between you and adam for what you 
wanted it to sound like? What kind of guidance did you give him? And then how did he execute it? Or was it like really detailed what you told him you, you wanted it to sound like? Or was he the kind of guy that you kind of spitballed what you were going for and then he was able to take the reins and really do his magic right yeah i would say i i feel really really lucky like i mentioned he and i have worked together um uh on on quite a quite a few things um we he he produced my my primary band vague advice he produced our our debut lp um he tracked mix and mastered the first two songs i put out under this project and again for the cp he's uh he mixed and and mastered it and added some instruments um so uh, the reason i'm even sharing all that is because we've been working together for about yeah. 6 years you know 6 7 years so i feel really lucky that i have someone who's so talented and, and so experienced not only you know, being able to work with him, but knowing that he really believes in, in, in the songs that I write and he already kind of has a sense of what it is that uh, I'm trying to do with these songs. There have been plenty of times where I suggest an idea and he's like, he kind of like refers back to the artist that has kind of inspired the idea for me. And, you know, like I mentioned, say anything, there was one time for, you know, we're recording Holy Stoner Blues and he's like, oh, you mean like uh, say anything kind of thing? I'm just like, that's exactly what I was talking about. <laughs> so I, I think more often than not, he kind of knows exactly what I'm going for. So in terms of when it got to his hands, there honestly wasn't very much, especially because it was already fully tracked. So I think he can kind of listen to the songs and get a sense of what I was trying to do uh, in addition to that. So there wasn't really much discussion uh, about what I was looking for. I think he kind of yeah. just got it. And he yeah, also produced your collaborations too, like, and everything. Yeah. Exactly. And despite this release being different than anything I'd put out thus far, including the things that, that he and I had worked on together, it still seemed like he pretty much got a sense of, of what I was looking for. Not to mention collaborated in a way that uh, he brought, you know, his his self to, to the table. Uh, he definitely produces like at a very high quality, you know, like in terms of I'm sure he's worked with lo-fi types of types of music before, but he very much produces mixes and masters to that kind of radio quality that you hear. And it feels really crisp and, and really, um, really produced in, in my opinion, in a good way. And that, that wasn't necessarily what we were going for with this EP, you know, with all of the Americana influence and all the folk influence, I think we originally went into it with a more um, raw and organic, sound in mind mm -hmm. and then when he when, once it got to his hands and he uh, begins adding the reverb and begins adding keys i think that that was a little bit of a departure from what i was already looking for uh, or originally looking for but then by the time you listen back and, uh, and she's like wow this is this is great this is not what i initially had in mind but it's certainly something i'm i'm super stoked to to be able to to put out so i think it's a combination of him understanding my vision and also um introducing his own kind of uh character to it that was maybe outside of the vision and then came together with what we had already done and what we'd wanted to do and, and just kind of created something new um, in a way that was, you know, really exciting. It's a great sense of trust. It seems that you have in that, yeah. that relationship. It's really strong. 
yeah, I feel uh, I feel super super fortunate to to have worked with him for so long, and we uh, uh, have actually just collaborated on on another project that I can't say too much about. But it, uh. I feel really lucky to to be working with him and uh, throughout all this time. Cool. I'm sure we'll hear about it soon. Mm. And yeah. it's awesome to hear how something that you originally think is going to play out what you think you want something to sound like and then you go through making the sausage as they'd say and then comes out on the other end sounding different and through that process you incorporate other things so it's cool to hear that for sure Yeah, especially especially for me because historically I, I actually do tend to struggle a little bit with that. I think I uh, often can be a little bit of a a control freak when it comes to all right, what are we doing? What is this? What's the um, what's the goal here? How do we need it? I think I can be a little bit protective of of my process and and the songs that I put out. So having someone that I can trust like that and really let go and say, hey you've been doing this. I know you get what I'm trying to do. And I know that you're good at what it is that you do. So I can kind of afford to relax a little bit and trust that it's, it'll end up being something that, that I'm happy with and being, and seeing that it, you know, when you do let go and, um, indulge that trust that, you know, you don't, you don't (laughs) totally get, get fucked on it. You know, uh, the kind of (laughs) no good deed goes unpunished kind of thing. Um, it's nice that that's not, uh, not the case here. Do you have that, uh, same amount of trust with the, the it's lit family band? Fantastic name, by the way. Yes, absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) Love the energy there. And they, they really did uh, a great job with the songs, but yeah. Do you have that same trust with them like when did you actually link up with them yeah so that that's actually a really cool question i'm super stoked to get to tell that the story behind that uh the the short answer is yes you know i think when we were writing these songs i was a little bit more directive than i um historically am in in vague advice um but the way that these songs took shape are directly in dialogue with the question that you just asked because uh, I kind of assembled the band for um, a a tiny desk um, submission for for the tiny desk uh, contest, um, and that was very kind of those kind of the beginning of this project. The first two songs I put out, Holy Stoner Blues and I Am a Vampire, I wrote and recorded all of those parts by myself aside from the drums. Adam Chakotsky did the drums on those songs. And when I came into this project and started working on those songs, I saw it as an opportunity to really take the lead on everything. I want to do the guitar. I want to do the bass. I want to do the lead guitar. I want to do all of this. I want to control everything. Mm-hmm. Um, so when it came time to record that um, tiny desk submission and to start playing live shows, I kind of went into it with it with the impression that it would look like that and with the intention on writing these parts and having other people play them. Um, and then when we actually sat down and started writing, I was like, oh my God, this is awesome. So when we started writing Sober, which was the first one after those two songs that I'd released that kind of kicked off the It's Lit family band, uh, we were initially called the Flaming Flamin' Hot Cheetos, but we felt like <laughs> that didn't take it that didn't take itself seriously enough. So It's Lit Family Band was yeah. obviously the yeah. log- next logical step. Um, but they uh, once I just heard how the mandolin was sounding in relation to these songs, which is one of the first things that really kind of 
uh, uh, came in and just how everyone was writing their parts to these songs, I immediately kind of let go of this intention to write all of the parts for the songs because they just brought an energy to it that was beyond what I, I anticipated or could have anticipated. Um, so when we were jamming to these songs, it just, I was like, oh, you, you know, no way. I have these two, three other songs in mind. I'm not writing those parts. This feels right. I want to go with this. Um, so we just kind of, that trust was kind of established from the first um, first song that we worked on together. And just immediately to me, I was like, I want these guys to to, to write these next songs. And, you know, the rest kind of um, was history from there. So. Yeah. I like how you described the It's Lit family band as not just a band, but a DIY collective. So within that, as a collective, are you involved with other members, solo projects or things like that? How does it work yeah so that's also super exciting a lot of the way that i've described um uh it's lit family band has as much to do with if not more to do with my plans for that project than it does what we've done thus far yeah um i refer to it as a diy collective collective and i do see it as such um but right now it's kind of like my backing band yeah yeah um uh the plan is to explore um backing other artists in philly um but right as of right now yeah and historically it's comprised of members from other local philly bands um one of my great friends nick tate uh plays in a band called junonia um and you asked in terms of how we work together he and i have talked about um me backing him for his solo project as well um and uh we have, we have some friends from humilitarian and um which is another Philly band, and we I, I have plans with members of uh, of that band to 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 do some stuff as well. Um, so it is like this really kind of nebulous um, collection of people from these different bands in the Philadelphia area. And heretofore, it's mostly been what we've done for this release and playing shows and chatting about different ideas that we have for different bands that we could start but moving forward i uh, i do have some serious plans to and you know i've talked to them as much uh, or about as much we've got some plans to really make it even more of that kind of collective where we work with other artists in the in the philly area to do with them what they've done with me here on this project That's great. uh and i think the focus there will continue to be the uh addition of instruments that you're not typically really hearing in philadelphia basements um or at least not in our scene i think i have seen um you know shows with like cello and violin and it's always super cool um but i wanted to kind of introduce that into um the scene of of artists that we play in and work with other artists to you know whether they want to in a more permanent way uh explore the it's lit family band as their backing band or just collaborating for specific shows whatever it may be there are just a lot of ideas that are kind of floating around right now for for the shape that that project can take super exciting yeah. that's very cool looking forward to seeing how it develops and evolves over the coming <laughs> year very cool so 
You are also in the Philadelphia band Vague Advice, and I was checking them out. Also, a really great band. Mm -hmm. I'm curious how you would compare your work in Vague Advice to your solo material, and why'd you decide to set out on your own to pursue the two singles that you released prior to this EP and then this EP? Yeah. it's 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 interesting because vague advice has never really felt bound by any like uh genre based limitations yeah. from the get-go we've always been like all right we're gonna write songs that we like i don't we don't really give a shit what kind of bubble it falls into you know i'm sure there will be similarities between some songs but i think retrospectively a lot of our songs are different yet despite that I saw this project as an opportunity to just like house everything that might not feel like a vague advice song. Yeah. Uh, and so I think it was kind of a combination of like um, genre and kind of exploring the more, uh, more accessible types of music, I think was the, the biggest goal there. Um, whereas, um, excuse me um i'm a vampire and holy stoner blues they kind of lean a little bit more into that uh in one case kind of fun and just a little bit more accessible than vague advice which has like seven minute songs (laughs) and you know we're we're doing these really intense builds and drops and it's very technical i i love the music that vague advice um that that we make but it very much in my opinion can often be music for musicians that musicians can appreciate and it's not super accessible um can be pretty dense uh which i like that and i want to continue doing that um but i also wanted to explore other avenues that um kind of are a little bit more traditional are a little bit more fun a little bit less less exhausting you keep on saying Um, you keep on saying fun to describe this ep but i feel like a lot of these like this ep is super personal and vulnerable yeah yeah um oh yeah so for sure this ep definitely is so i i was kind of thinking of it in the mindset of going into those first two songs like when i started this project Um, so i'm thinking my head's in for holy holy stoner blues there um which is probably the most upbeat song i've ever written despite also being super depressing but yeah i very much i very much agree with you i think that there was a huge like jump from like what i set out to do with this project and then what this ep ended up looking like i think that once we really started writing the ep and playing those songs live it just took on a life of its own so any intentions i had about starting a solo project might look a little bit different than like what at this point, this project has grown into. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, in terms of when I set out to start a solo project and went to record uh, Holy Stoner and uh, I Am a Vampire, I think that that's what was going on in my mind then. But you're totally right. By the time we've gotten to this EP, there's definitely been a departure even mm-hmm. there. Um, but yeah, and I guess it, otherwise it was also about like something that has also since changed, just like kind of what I mentioned earlier about um, just creative control and be and not feeling like, you know, because for Vague Advice's second EP, the dudes were really gracious and they kind of let me write like five, six songs and bring them to the table, mm-hmm. which historically is not how our process yeah. is. It's a lot more collaborative. Right. Um, 
and they let me do that. But I didn't want to keep bringing my songs to the table for Vague Advice. I really like that those songs live on their own and are and are so collaborative and so democratic. Mm-hmm. So I kind of made a decided shift to like not say don't do this do that i have this vision for the song let's explore that i just kind of want to let everyone do their thing with that project because i think that's what makes that project so great uh and in that i wanted a space where i did have more creative control and could kind of direct the songs from start to finish um so again now that we've gotten to this point for this project even that has kind of changed for me and um uh, it has re- reverted to something that's a little bit more collaborative and a, li- a little bit more democratic. Um, but even then, I think to a degree, I am still a little bit more directive and more open to saying, hey, that's cool, but I think I'm going for th- a little bit yeah. more of this or a little bit more of that. So that kind of thing. And then with, with these songs, like, do, do you feel it was easier to tell these kinds of stories on your own versus bringing them like to uh, you know your projects with uh, vague advice. Uh, that's that's a good question. I don't think so. I um, vague advice is a. It's pretty much um, whoever sing. We typically write our own lyrics for vague advice. Uh, vague advice has a very strong presence of our uh, of our other vocalist Jeff, who uh, plays guitar in vague advice. He um, writes and sings pretty presently in that kind of dual vocals thing sometimes you hear it in varying degrees throughout our disc- discography and he even fronts uh some songs um so historically like if we're sharing vocals in a song we'll write our own lyrics which just means when i am writing lyrics for vague advice even then i do kind of have pretty much complete control over what i'm saying or what i'm singing about and I don't think I was ever inclined to really hesitate to get into topics that are as personal as the EP mm-hmm. is um, in Vague Advice. Um, so I think that I'm, I think my writing in general just tends to be a bit personal and introspective right. and, and, and vulnerable. So I don't think that that was especially new for, um, for this gotcha. EP. Yeah. How do you approach lyric writing? Because as, Diana alluded to, and as I could definitely hear listening to the songs, they're deeply personal songs about specific experiences. Mm. Do you write lyrics while you're writing music, or how do you pair the lyrics that you come up with with the specific right. song? Yeah, I, I honestly, I try not to um, impose any direction, really, when I'm writing lyrics. Uh, in terms of, like, structure process speaking uh, or referring to the process uh, by which I write lyrics uh, I just write as I'm developing I sit down with a guitar and um, and my laptop and part by part whatever comes next I just sit down with that part until the lyrics are written and then the next part comes on guitar and then the lyrics for that part come so for the most part I write my lyrics at the same time that I'm developing a song from start to finish and in terms of what kind of lyrical content I'm getting on the page, um, I really try not to tell specific stories about anything. I just kind of write what comes out and what feels right um, without trying to attribute too much meaning to it. Now, when I go back and kind of read through the song that I've written now, 
I can clearly kind of identify like, oh yeah, well, this is obviously about X, Y, or Z. Um, And then touching on, like you said, um, they are something that's interesting too, is that they are very personal and they are very vulnerable. And in my opinion, they are very honest, but a lot of them are, are fiction, Mm, you know? So I, I kind of sit down and write these songs about what feels like very specific experiences, but really like they're not necessarily experiences that have happened to me. They're definitely informed and inspired by emotions that I have. And a lot of them may end up taking a a form that is similar to some experience that I've had. Um, But I kind of, I've always been interested in the idea of semi-fiction. This idea of telling very, very true stories with uh, perhaps a, a, a fictional uh, vehicle to to, to do so then with. can we maybe go you know song by song a bit and kind of dig a little bit into these narratives like on cosmonaut yeah. well for, first of all i wanted to ask like so why cosmonaut over astronaut i just think that's kind of interesting and i also yeah, yeah totally I, I, yeah right. i guess maybe explain that a bit yeah, not not super intentional. I think it just probably feels more interesting when I'm right. Like again, going back to the idea of like when I'm sitting down with the lyrics, like I'm not, I'm, I'm it's not really one to be like, all right, so we should, so should I go astronaut <laughs> or cosmonaut here? You know what I mean? So it's like we're just, just kind of like writing the song and whatever comes out comes out. And I think uh, cosmonaut to me, like uh, linguistically yeah. speaking, just like flows a little bit better. It's a little bit more yeah. aesthetic. Um, so I think that, and it's a little less. Uh, I guess a little less done. Like That's you don't true. hear that word in in a song very often. I like so it I visually. More often than not, like it, I like it visually. Like I, I like thinking about kind of like being an explorer amidst the cosmos versus like an asteroid or something. I guess. Yeah, exactly. I think it's a little bit more abstract, and my my writing tends to be an ab be a bit more abstract. And not to mention, I think having something that's a little bit more. Um, a little bit more abstract there fits the song better for sure um, because it's got that kind of ethereal feel at points maybe um yeah so is that one of those songs where you had mentioned that you're incorporating sort of semi-fiction because this seems like cosmonaut astronaut type of thing is something that you probably didn't actually experience obviously right you've also described the song as delving into kind of missing someone and realizing you're not being fair to that person which sounds like something that you probably specifically experienced those feelings in relation to someone yeah so i think um i think you pretty much nailed it right there that one strangely enough is actually one of the tracks that is a little bit more grounded in direct experience but i think as far as the whole fiction or reality thing is concerned i think that it's just so abstract that it gives me the liberty to yeah. not really have to make decisions about how real because it's not very narrative it's more more reflective mm-hmm. um so there's whereas des moines is or in des moines is straight up telling a story right, yes, right? there yes, are events totally. and it's grounded in action this is more so grounded in reflection so it gives me the space to tell a story that is a little bit more about me dante the person than say in des moines is uh, but at the same time, or even sober, sober is very is, is a bit narrative as well. Um, 
and it's more so just feelings and reflecting on those feelings through this metaphor of uh, this uh, not the nautical imagery or the the space imagery. Um, kind of like an observer. Yeah, kind of, kind of looking back on your thoughts and having conversations mm-hmm. with yourself. I think is the um, is the 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 format of that song. It's kind of talking to the person that it's about, but also talking to right. yourself about what yeah. you're saying and what you're thinking, and just it's, it's it's a bit more cerebral in that sense. So I think the truth sits in the metaphor as opposed to sitting in in the events, which are then evaluated as true or false or fictional or, mm-hmm. or real and i guess uh on that note getting into getting into sober one of the more narrative songs on the ep it seems to cast a light you know on addictions and how we're dealing with it uh in terms of you know p- managing pain and managing your relationships with people um it's a very raw of a, a very raw track where i feel like there's a lot of expo like a lot of things where you just let be exposed i guess in this particular circumstance um do you feel do you want to talk about like this this moment in your life or this specific experience yeah for sure so that um i think sober is a really great example for exploring that idea of semi-fiction um because that song is about me and a friend of mine and our relationship but a vast majority of what's in that song is fictional um so that's a story about two friends who are both struggling with addiction are both struggling with uh mental illness and they're just absolutely doing their best to be there for each other and to be good friends to each other and we see that they're not very good at mm-hmm. it right <laughs> they're doing a bad yeah. job of being there for each other so I, I wanted to kind of explore the complexity and the nuance of what it looks like for broken people to try to be there for each other when they don't know how to be or when they really don't know how to take care of themselves and it's like okay well how do you take care of someone else when when you don't know how to take care of yourself chances are you're going to end up uh enabling them or um emphasizing different parts of your relationship that kind of miss the point right the there's the line in uh in that song where the character is talking to the other characters parents yeah. right and that's the chorus i guess so, um i asked i begged your family to let you die right um which is um the the more literal events happening there is the one character is going to rehab in in saint mm-hmm. paul um and the speaker is like sent them the same sent them the same paw come on they'd rather Mm. die they would rather die than go get better you should have let them die which is obviously a incredibly flawed Mm. way of thinking and then you have this character kind of divulge that information to the other character and they're like what you were right they should have let me die they don't really know me Mm. like you so this idea of um interpreting your intimacy with somebody as I guess being inherently like beneficial to them, I guess. So it just kind of explores the flawed way of thinking that we can, I think, 
um, I think we often subject ourselves and each other to when we just don't quite have it figured out. I'm, I'm, I'm losing myself a little bit talking in the abstract. I'm trying to think of ways to, to ground what the song right. is, is about. Um, but I guess as a better, more concrete starting point, um, it's just two addicts who are, again, like I said, trying to look out for each other uh, and, and trying to deal with their own shit. And it kind of explores this sequence of events that is kicked off by um, one of those characters being sent to rehab and um, the speaker of the song goes in to move in into um, their their the parents' house of that friend, and it's just about friendship and it's about uh, suffering and shared yeah. suffering, um, you, and kind of trying to figure yeah, it out. The, I feel like on this song and on in Des Moines, uh, you you have this like active voice when you when you talk about death and dying. Which I found very interesting. Um, like in this, in sober, uh, I think one of the last lines is, um, like when I heard that you were coming from home from St. Paul, I'd already killed myself. And then in Des Moines, in, in Des Moines, there's um, a line where like I don't want to die in somebody's arms again. And I was wondering mm-hmm. how you know you you've cho- you chose to specifically activate death in in the, in the narrative and these i think it, it was so interesting because obviously you are here with us which is wonderful you know you haven't actually died so like you know <laughs> right, and right. just i guess i guess now that we know it's semi-fiction you know where does where do these kind of dying moments in the songs like take place yeah that's that's a good question i i think honestly might not have any great <laughs> answers i think that may be one of those uh one of those parts where i let my subconscious do the okay. hard work um and whatever kind of comes out on the page is is kind of what i go with uh if anything i was actually a little bit hesitant to make that the closing line of sober because i wanted to you know upon releasing it i wanted to do something I reconsidered having such a fucking bummer of uh, of, uh, of an ending <laughs> for that one. Um, I, I think, yeah, it, it's it's interesting. I had, I'd never actually really thought about that in terms of like it's it's a lot more active voice when um, when I do talk about death, and I haven't actually really explored uh, why that might be. Um, I know in Des Moines, the line, I don't want to die in a stranger's arms again, that's definitely a little bit more metaphoric, that metaphorical than saying mm-hmm. sober. Um, that's, I think that line is a little bit more about sex than it is about mm-hmm. death. Um, and just kind of using the, um, the metaphor of just like, just diving all in and just like, I don't know. Um, but in terms of, the active voice I, I, that's actually a good question i might have to look in uh look yeah, into my dive. own uh, look into my own writing <laughs> uh, in terms of my <laughs> own experience with um with with mental illness yeah. um and um you know like stuff relating to suicide or suicide ideation i have like experienced obviously not obviously but like i've been at points in my life suicidal i've definitely struggled with suicide ideation for a lot longer than um actively you know being suicidal so i think 
in that song, it is less about me as well. Um, but that song could be a little bit tricky too because the people that the song is based on, I think both me and my friend are both characters. Um, so I'm not even going to get into that because that gets even more confusing. <laughs> um, but that line is a little bit less about me than it is about um, uh, my friend. So, yeah. yeah, super powerful lyrics across all four songs. I was Thanks. also interested about what you view as the significance of the title of the EP, because I know it does work its way into the lyrics of In Des Moines, which seems to delve into experiences traveling and being outside of your home and surroundings. Yeah, I think um, the significance to me of that line is uh, I've talked a little bit about like the recurring theme of uh, of gender in the EP um, and um, with specific attention to um, how music explores the I guess gender differences in relationships and perspective yeah. in relationships and how the male perspective it, that dominates, um, say, say something like indie music, mm -hmm. um, we, that most of them are not professing to be songs about gender. Um, they're songs that are professing to be about romance, but since um, the industry is dominated by largely cishet you know, yeah. people, then those songs whether they like it or not become gendered mm. um so i think when it came to naming the ep and working with the album art i did want to lean a little bit into um what i would consider a recurring theme of gender um in the ep um and that song was is the one that is most overtly um being a little bit critical uh, of gender um so even though the whole EP is not about that, I think there is a really kind of strong thread of it throughout the EP. So I knew that I wanted to name the EP after something that was in that song, since that was the most unifying um, uh, thread throughout the EP. Um, so the specific line wasn't as important to me as centering uh, the EP around that song uh, and, and, and its lyrical content. But I think for me, the on a hotel bed you pay for, that was meant to be a little bit subversive because I think that point in the song in Des Moines on a hotel bed that you paid for, I think that that was one of the places in which I most overtly juxtaposed these, um, the sort of gender, like this male perspective of uh, what it means to uh, engage ethically in romantic relationships and and to to play with toxic masculinity and um, to subvert that with the vulnerabilities of of, of feeling inadequate and and feeling um, I guess uh, the kind of fears that drive to toxic mm -hmm. masculinity 
how those are in dialogue with how we actually yeah. conduct yeah. ourselves. So uh, this in this situation, this guy who is grappling with his toxic masculinity, um, being in a position where he's on a hotel bed mm-hmm. that she paid for and he's afraid that she's left him and kind of playing around with yeah. those vulnerabilities that are teased out in the song in contrast to the more you know machismo and and kind of yeah. uh, I like traditional the idea that comes from that that gender is kind of like loose skin that, that could we should just shed versus like having these strong ties to it um yeah i think that's that's really interesting i wouldn't necessarily have picked that out because of the reasons that you say that like it's so easy to just think that it's a you know a heteronormative relationship versus it being the opposite so it's kind of cool that you explore that in that way yeah yeah i think i wanted to 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 turn that on its head a little bit especially um especially in that song uh and kind of like the dismantling in my personal life the dismantling of gender is is something that i'm very interested in whereas in the music i think i wanted to start with a a more manageable starting point of just like challenging um challenging the way that we you know think about gender and i was also like nervous of like it coming off as i was writing songs for boys (laughs) to just kind of like hey guys this is to help you figure your shit out uh i wasn't really wasn't trying to do that especially because i think that these the the i think that the the types of behaviors that the song is talking about i think that we are all um uh we can all be susceptible to to performing those behaviors and and treating people poorly so i think that the songs have something definitely for um for everybody but i think a big focus of that song was kind of encouraging people to challenge um their own connections to gendered um expectation and just to wrap it up since we've talked about the first three songs on Mm -hmm. the record in detail tell us a little bit about uh bastion blues Mm -hmm. yeah that that's a fun one bastion blues i feel like is almost kind of like the more real life part two to Des Moines in Des Moines. Um, in Des Moines is kind of like, uh, like leaving, like stepping away from that, um, uh, that toxic masculinity and is inspired by my own kind of life, but, um, is definitely not me. Whereas the ways in which in Des Moines is inspired by my life, Bastion Blues, kind of reprises that more contemplative um format and is a little bit more about me that's that song's just kind of about being uh in a monogamous relationship as a non-monogamous person and kind of being in a position where you have finally learned right in the in des moines you kind of like have had the fight against like these talk the the toxicity and have found a space that you're comfortable with of like oh you know it's kind of me grappling with the fact that um i may not be a monogamous person and there are ways to um Mm -hmm. figure that out ethically 
And then what happens when there's the introduction of like, oh, wait, I might be able to figure this out and do it ethically. And then I go and fall in love with with a monogamous mm. person. <laughs> so that was kind of me just kind of grappling with where I was and how do I move forward? Do I move forward? What does that mean for me? How do I figure out, how do I take everything that I've learned and either engage in this relationship ethically or is the ethical thing to do to not engage in this relationship. So that was just kind of me going back and forth um, with those feelings and, and, and where I was at the time. Um, and it's just kind of like, you know, well, what do I do? And like, you know, you really care about a person, but you know right off the bat that the, the lifestyle, um, the two lifestyles aren't really going to work out and then in dialogue with everything else that the rest of the ep is about what does that mean for you as a person to live out an ethical life when faced with this decision specifically i think uh sonically i mean all the songs i feel like have a kind of melancholic yet hopeful sound do you what are your influences uh, surrounding this ep <laughs> yeah i think uh uh there are a lot of different uh artists that i think made it into like you know, sonically, like my influences, I historically wear my influences on my sleeve. Um, for me, uh, there was a mm -hmm. lot of uh, Connor Oberst in this, in the CP. Bright Eyes, excuse me, uh, Bright Eyes is one of my favorite bands, if not my favorite band. Uh, <laughs> obviously, and we'll get into that on the, uh, the Discogs yeah. list there. Uh, um, but uh, definitely some Connor Oberst, some Bright Eyes. Um, a uh, bit, quite a bit of Pine Grove as well, if 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 only in the sense of um, kind of bringing together those worlds of like indie rock, emo rock, and like the Americana folk side of things. I don't really hear like palpably yeah. hear very much Pine Grove on this EP, but they were definitely like a a driving force for opening me up to making the kind of music um that is that is in the ep if if you hear the difference between like right. these songs and vague advice uh bands like pine grove are largely responsible for getting me in a position awesome. to make this kind of music i think um and then from there i think one of the biggest ones for me is definitely saint seneca is uh, a band that i'm super super into and vocally uh saint seneca and bombay bicycle club definitely had some huge huge influence in my vocal approach uh in the you know the low ends and and kind of focusing on like just relaxing not singing super loud all the time and and you know just kind of going with that mm -hmm. almost kind of croaky uh, it sounds like a croak to me some of the vocal stylings uh in, in yeah. some of these songs very like guttural um definitely pulling from um from their vocal styles uh quite a bit in in a lot of their songs awesome all right so we are gonna play the first three songs from dante's new ep of course, as we've mentioned, it's called On a Hotel Bed That You Paid For. We're going to hear Cosmonaut. We're going to follow that up with Sober and then wrap up the set with In Des Moines. Then we'll be back.
So over 
dressing up as someone older. You'll get there soon, and there's plenty for us to drink. When I heard that you were carried away to St. Paul. But your family let you die My tongue first flaring up I've been pretending that I'm okay But I've got slow rise Well, I
Well, I've been wandering round the grounds at nightfall. Took a photograph of you. We just heard the first three tracks from Dante's new EP on a hotel bed that you paid for. Everyone, you can get that at DanteRobinson.Bandcamp.com. You could also check it out on all streaming platforms. We heard Cosmonaut, Sober, and In Des Moines. All right, now... Dante picked some records from my record collection, and we're going to talk about them, and we're going to play them. So, starting off with Down in the Weeds by Bright Eyes. 
Yes. It was their first mm-hmm. record in almost a decade. Also, decade. first record released not on Saddle Creek Records. Yep. Because it was released on Dead Oceans. Dead Oceans yep. And this other insane <laughs> thing that I learned today and just reading about this record a little bit because I love the album. The songs are great. <laughs> Flea plays bass yeah. on a lot of these Dang. tracks. Almost I had all no of them, idea. Yeah. Truly. He, that's insane. He lays down too. I think the one track where I was like, oh yeah, that's Flea is one and done. Dude, the bass line in that song is so sick uh, and just so groovy. I'm just like, this feels like peppers like <laughs> it was yeah but he he slays it on that record that was like my selling point to like most of my friends who aren't that into bread <laughs> i was like dude you gotta listen to the record flea plays bass on it check it that, out it's yeah. just a weird collaboration so i would weird. not in a million years think connor oberst would think i want flea to play bass on this record right. you just and less not- so would i expect it to work at that <laughs> yeah yeah it could have been like the snare drum on saint anger by metallica you know it <laughs> exactly. could have turned out that way but instead <laughs> yeah I guess they killed it so good good for you play and bright eyes but yeah right? talk a little bit about your what the music of bright eyes means to you and mm-hmm. how it's influenced you because i know you mentioned it a little earlier in the interview yeah, uh, the big thing, I mean, I, Bright Eyes was like, they were definitely like one of my formative bands, like as an adolescent, like kind of getting into indie music um, and, and just alternative music um, in general. I think I, I listened to like uh, a lot more pop and rap when I was like a lot younger. Uh, and be, that's just because it's what my family was listening to. So when I kind of came of age, um and started getting into my own music it was more like bands like fallout boy or taken back sunday and then pretty quickly evolved into bands a little bit more like bright eyes um so it was just super cool because like when i started listening to bright eyes i always joke (laughs) with my friends that connor oberst taught me how to be sad um but (laughs) although that's like half of the joke like um there really is some truth to it um when i was kind of listening to his lyrics and just like exploring the way that he verbalizes um suffering um and just his lyrical content was just so formative for me and understanding what was going on with me emotionally at the time um but as when i was younger I just had this collection of the Bright Eyes songs that I liked. Um, and it was LimeWire days, so I made yeah. the the mistake of downloading the entire Bright Eyes discography um, uh, like to my laptop, which I didn't realize even in like 2008 or 2009, it was like five albums and like seven albums worth of like, you know, like rarities and 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 b-sides and just like songs that weren't associated with a specific lp or anything like that so that actually kind of turned me off when i was younger despite liking them i just had my songs that i liked and then as i got older and i began to find that fewer and fewer of my all-time favorite bands were really withstanding the test of time i kind of got back into bright eyes maybe in like 
2016, I would say, um, and re-explored uh, at the bottom of everything and kind of started there, started with that and Fevers and Mirrors, which were always my kind of favorite records. And then over time, I've kind of revisited all of those records. But what I'm ultimately working around to here is that in the same way that um, I was listening to, say, Fevers and Mirrors and, and realizing that the angst that I was kind of grappling with at the time was like, oh, my God, he, he explains it so perfectly. This is amazing. He's so fucking sad. <laughs> uh, in the same way that I had felt super connected to what he was writing about then. When I got older and dove back into some of his later albums and he's singing, still singing about fucking sadness, but he's talking a little bit more about like metaphysics and communication and what does it mean to be an independent person uh, and and manage the balance between connection and independence. Uh, and and he, he sings a lot about, you know, um, they say everyone has a choice to make, uh, to, to be loved or to be free. And, you know, and just the way that his um, lyrical content evolved over time, I didn't realize until I dove back into their songs that they almost kind of evolved in the same way that I did as a person. So this idea of kind of discovering them and feeling like, oh my God, he puts into words what I'm thinking right now. Uh, and then kind of growing up and changing so much and then listening to the way that he had changed and, 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 and wrote songs about different things and finding that it was still somehow in line with what I was think what, what I've been thinking now over the past few years and, and the more, philosophically heavy themes as opposed to the emotionally heavy themes that I kind of change in, in similar ways um, that his music changed and that it was still so fitting to me and so um, exactly what I needed you know at, at the time that kind of just cemented the bond for me as an adult in, in a way that was really kind of like <laughs> holy shit this is my guy he gay just gets it yeah. he sings about all of the same things that i'm thinking about and feeling in over the course of the same trajectory or maybe it's just you know when i found it so i'm appropriating it to to look like that but um it was just sort of really moving to me um so he, he connor oberst and bright eyes have have kind of played different roles in my life and my development as a consumer of music and as a writer of music uh, at different points in, in my development. But it seems like he's always kind of got something that really resonates with me and just has withstood the test of time so much better than a lot of artists that I, I liked when I was younger and might not be as into anymore. Around here you've been wondering what tomorrow's gonna sing On the final field recording from the Next up, we've got Adrienne Lenker, her new record, Songs. Gorgeous new record, came out last year. I feel oh like God, yeah. probably uh, informs your work. A, a little bit her stuff yeah. especially on this record kind of more minimalist though i think yeah yeah, yeah i've i mean she's she's so talented um and i think one of the things that i love about that record and it just about big thief in general um but especially her solo work is just how she shines like on guitar um yeah I think as we move into like a, a time where female artists are getting a lot more credit, 
uh, as they should be, it, it always tends to fall down on like, oh my God, her voice is so good. And oh my God, like her songwriting is so good, which, you know, for her and for plenty of other female artists is, is the case. Um, but I think that we're still a little bit slow to acknowledge like women get like female guitarists and how fucking sick their, their, their guitars yeah. are. You, you just don't hear them getting enough credit for their guitar work the way that we, I think we may be um, more actively focused on their songwriting or, or, or their singing. Uh, and I just love Adrian Lenker because her, guitars are just so fucking like crazy man so complex sometimes so so free and just so beautiful yeah they really do stand out um that's one of the things i really love about uh that record especially on acoustic um and it's, it's just generally just so fucking good talk about like the really again man i'm a sucker for like the emotional stuff but like the stuff that's not like superficially emotional and just like kind of like uh, hack or like trait like um you know metaphors about emotion but stuff that really kind of like is jarring and it really grips you and it's just i guess there's, that's not an especially unique thing to say but i think that it it's harder to find that stuff in music because everyone writes sad songs everyone writes emotional songs so like stumbling on something that really just shakes you is like whew, and that that album definitely does that for me Next up, Illuminati Hotties Kiss Your Frenemies. It's a great indie pop record. Yeah, that that record slaps. So, yeah. That's a like fun house feel. Yeah, that's so. a phenomenal record. I um I don't understand how they're like not more popular than they are. I I guess maybe like could be a, a regional thing and maybe just the people I know aren't as into them as a lot of people are. Um, but that record is just so I again I listen to super fucking sad music. And there are some bummers on that record, but there are also some absolute slaps. Um yes, so for me like, totally yeah stumbling onto like a, a an album that i can just bop out to is always super refreshing for me and like just a nice like a welcome break from the really kind of like yeah like super spacious and playful to. there's a lot of good a good fun on there and a mix of bummers yeah <laughs> healthy mix <laughs> yeah uh, and I gotta admit, my bu- the the bummers yeah. are my favorite ones on the album, but I can like definitely very much enjoy like the the more upbeat ones that are that are a little bit more fun. Next up, Courtney Barnett, Tell Me How You Really Feel, her most recent record. Mm-hmm. I thought it was cool, I didn't know this either, that Kim and Kelly Deal provide backing vocals on two tracks on this record, Nameless, Faceless, and Crippling Self-Doubt and a General Lack of Self-Confidence. Nice. I love finding mm-hmm. out these little tidbits about these records that I love. Did not oh, know yeah. that. The, the deep cut information yeah 
De- definitely love that. But who who are the uh, artists that you said feature on there? Those names weren't super familiar. For me. Kim and Kelly Deal. Uh, Kim Deal. Uh, she's in the Pixies, and they're oh, sisters. And they're in the Breeders together. Okay, yeah, yeah, the, dude, that's yeah. cool. I didn't. I also didn't know that <laughs> yeah, they featured on this record no until idea. just now. No idea. No <laughs> idea about the Flea thing on the Bright Eyes record. No idea about the Deal sisters on two tracks on Tell Me How You Really Feel. But tell me how you really feel about this record, Dante. Oh, I like that. That was good. I actually set Boom. you up for that. I put that on this list just so you can make that joke. Hell yeah. And I delivered. <laughs> yeah, no, this re- that record rips, man. I was super late to um, late to the game with Courtney Barnett. Um, but I just remember discovering that and I guess what was it 2017 somewhere about there maybe 2018 um, one of my one of my good friends that I that I worked with um, they were like you know I think you'd be super into this it's right around the time that I started getting into like like Phoebe Bridgers and stuff too and like Phoebe Bridgers and um, who else did I guess uh, Lucy Lucy Dacus um, around around that time, and I think that there are definitely some some pretty significant differences sonically there. Yeah. Um, but they definitely exist in a space of artists, what I call <laughs> artists that NPR fucking loves. Um, <laughs> that's that's the that's the whole genre, uh, NPR NPR rock. Um, but I was just kind of branching out into that into that world, and my friend was like, "Yeah, I think you'd really dig this record," and I, I just like love the 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 bob dylan thing you know it's just like <laughs> australia's bob dylan um yeah but I, I was super into it love how it like balances again like those kind of like i don't know like you can hear obviously like her influence from like bob dylan or like people who are more in that space and like obviously like working with kurt vile in the past there's this like almost kind of like this I don't know the the best I'm so bad with like words that refer to like genres and stuff but um, mixing that with like more indie rock like I don't know it just yeah. it seems like it brings a couple of worlds together in a, in a way that is like super interesting to me and like the kind of thing that I tried to do with like this EP and like bringing the emo and, and the folk Americana together and making something that works. I feel like she kind of did that with um, this sort of like that good old boy beef and potatoes, <laughs> rock and roll kind of like, uh, you know, Americana type of thing mixed with the kind of um, indie rock, I guess is, you know, again, bad with those words I'm trying to figure out. Like, no, totally. I totally agree but. with you. And of course, she's a really good lyricist. She Mm -hmm. really works in a little sarcasm at times. Oh, yeah. Sometimes she's very matter of fact, too, when the moment requires it, which I always think is cool because she kind of walks this thin line where her lyrics aren't all just one thing. And of course, she's really good at Mm -hmm. describing the human experience i feel like as far mm-hmm. as dealing with depression and different things that yeah we have to go through in life and she makes it interesting mm-hmm. and digestible also it's sometimes she's good with metaphor sometimes she avoids it altogether, which i think is is cool you know yeah i, I think that's a really great way to 
to describe it, you know, because especially like the finding that balance of like tongue in cheek, like, you know, satire is not really something that music is not the primary space in which you usually hear satire. Right. Um, so hearing her, like usually bands with, if their tongues in their cheek, that's pretty much their entire thing. Yeah. Like you said, she's kind of got that like versatility where sometimes she's being really straightforward and and on the nose. And then other times it's, (laughs) you're like, are you fucking with me right now? Like like that kind of sarcasm. What I always thought was such a cool lyrical moment for her was on that first, ep compilation it was like two eps combined together and you know it's like her biggest song i think and she talks about how the medic comes to like take her away or something and she's like they they think i'm cool because i play guitar i think i tell him i think he's cool because he stops people from dying or something and it's just so (laughs) funny but the most Mm -hmm. obvious thing to say in that situation or it's like yeah you you stop people from dying where it works really well but it's so just matter of fact and it's cool that she knows how to inject a lyric like that when it works really well because sometimes i feel like if you're not really in a different situation i think if it didn't work, someone would listen to it and think, oh, that's lazy lyricism, you know? Right, you know what right. I mean? It's too, you're not really thinking outside the box, but it really works, like, the, for what she's trying to convey in that song, it's just, like, the perfect line. And not to mention just how much work that line is is doing. Like, everything that you just yeah. said is, like, there's work being done there too because it's not just the matter of fact line of i think it's cool that you save people's lives it's about what she's setting up with what kind of expectations she's setting up when she says he likes that i play music right it it has this kind of like punchy like aesthetic feel to it that you feel like it's about to go somewhere that's like stylistic and and cool but she immediately just subverts that and just it is super matter i I love that shit so cool yeah exactly it's just like perfect it's really takes someone really sharp to to know hey this is really gonna work really well here so that's something that i really appreciate about her oh yeah Next one, keeping it down under. <laughs> Julia yeah. Jacqueline crushing. Oh my God, man. Such a good, good record. One of my favorites of 2020. Or did it I, come out last year? 2019. I think, yeah, yeah, I think that it might have been. <laughs> it's either 2018 or 2019, I think. I think 2019. Yeah, I think it's 2019, yeah. Man, I love that record so much. Um, I. Uh, feels a little weird admitting this but um after big thief put out uh uh masterpiece um was around when i not masterpiece excuse me capacity um is when i got into them after their second lp so when they did the two different records in 2018 or 19 yeah i wasn't i actually was not super into those records 
Um, so I like had this running joke about it, the, given the fact that they put out two of them and I wasn't super into them. Um, I, and I joked that Julia Jacqueline ended up putting like Big Thief put out two records this year. And Julia Jacqueline is the one who put out the Big Thief record that I, uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that yeah, I wanted yeah, to yeah. hear, you know. Um, but no, that crushing is it's just so, so good. I think going back, like, you know, to, to the Courtney Barnett thing, like the way that it, her lyricism, the way that she balances like really narrative and, and mundane and like real life stuff with like some of the more metaphorical kind of out there abstract stuff is like I, I just really love it i think it's more narrative than than metaphorical but um just the pictures that she paints and the the ways that she attaches emotion to those really kind of um grounded experiences i, I think is just like absolutely masterful and then just like the the dynamic of like the the instrumentation is just like so beautiful like i would be lying if i told you that i've never lied in bed and listened to the song comfort on repeat whilst sobbing um that it's just like so nice gripping you know what i mean (laughs) just like such powerful stuff Um, so intense but also like so delicate yeah exactly exactly um and like you know talk about like vulnerability and honesty and lyricism like it doesn't get much um doesn't get much better than than that it's just like super powerful and i also really like i think that um you know going back to the idea of like whether we like it or not i think music often um is going to be about gender, whether we set out to write about gender or not, because the industry is dominated by, um, heteronormative or like, like heterosexual people. And they're more often than not, it's about romance. So you're singing about heterosexual romance. And And they're describing their experiences. Right. And that album is, I think is a perfect example of a song that says, so much about gender but i don't really get the sense that julia jacklin was trying to make like socio-political statements like about gender right it's Mm -hmm. just inherent in the songs that she's singing so you just hear just really like great perspectives of the relationships that that she um that i'm guessing she had who knows if it's semi-fiction or 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 what um but I, i think it just like tells really powerful stories about love and about and about gender that I just think are really, really cool. All right, bringing it back to the USA for this <laughs> next one with my favorite artist in the boy genius trio i'd say i know everybody is about phoebe bridgers right right now but i'm always standing for lucy i'm also a hard lucy number one (laughs) that's fair i just it's funny i I actually just had this conversation the other day too yeah that's what we pretty much settled on yeah oh this person's my least favorite but you got to understand it's relative because i fucking love yeah Yeah, they're all fucking phenomenal people yeah, and really you picked hard. her album Historian, her second LP. Oh, yeah. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, that that EP is amazing. Mm-hmm. I, I do have an unpopular opinion here, though. A hot take? Uh, that's one that I don't know if there's a place to, to dissect it. Jesus Christ, but uh, like I think there's that the, the the growing trend of like artists who just go by their name. Um, as much as I like love Lucy Lucy Dacus, like that record just feel like their her guitarist, like his sound, it's just and like his tones and just his writing style is so like characterizing of that. Um, uh, of that record that I, uh, I'm always feeling a little bit more like, man, I feel like they could use a band name, huh? This guy's really doing some, doing some work <laughs> here. <laughs> you know, uh, that's by no means the first or most important thing I want to say about that record. <laughs> but it's something that uh, always comes to mind because, I, I mean, I, I just absolutely love the guitar work um, on that record. And obviously, she's just uh, incredible as well. Just like vocally oh. and, and lyrically, talk about lyrics and the tongue-in-cheek stuff. She, she's got a lot of lyrics that are just flat out funny um so i i love like jamming along to those and it's also like she more than i think a lot of the boy genius artist has some of the songs that are like i guess phoebe has like some some bops on like the newer album that are a little bit more upbeat but she i feel like lucy dacus more than the rest of them has like just the energy in the songs that are just like oh this is like fucking yeah, rock so and roll driven. like straight yeah. up like yeah yeah um and i absolutely absolutely like love that about that record too yeah this one also reaches like so many phenomenal like thematic depths and yeah the storytelling is always fantastic like with night shift if we go we're going back to you know uh the idea of gender i feel like with that one too it, it's also has this loose this really great like loose relationship with that and you can't what i like that you can't really tell the difference like i think more so on that one like who's actually you know the face of that song you know what i mean i don't know if that makes sense right <laughs> no no for no, sure totally what, yeah what definitely perspective. makes sense I mean, it definitely begs a lot of questions too. I mean, for one, she drops uh, a casual day in there, so you're like, "Oh, who's this? Mm-hmm. Song? Who's this song about?" Like, "Oh, did we just get a, a casual day in a song? Hell yeah!" Like, you know, so like immediately, like, "Oh, like is that non-binary representation in indie rock music? That's fucking cool." Um, if that's what she's doing, I guess I don't have the confirmation, but I'd imagine that the you, you don't you know use that lightly, mm-hmm. really. Um, and then it's also that kind of like punch you in the face call you a bitch mm-hmm. and, and then leave it's just like whoa so i think that yeah. when you talk about you know like violent physical violence i think that immediately like kind of raises some questions about like you know the 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 perspective and and um the you know person who, who it's about and makes you think about gender a little bit too so definitely hear hear you there Last one, Marigold by Pine Grove. I'm from Verona, New Jersey, and they're from Montclair. Did you say so Vernon? That's the town. Verona. Oh, okay. Gotcha. It's right next to Montclair where Pine Grove's from. So right, right. 
Yeah, dude, that record is crazy. I, uh, I, when I was looking through your discogs, I, um, I, I like, um, I wanted to put together like a, an album of the year list, but it was just like giving me so much anxiety that I ended up putting it off and not doing it. <laughs> so when I started like looking through this list, I was, I was also hesitant, um, for obvious reasons to like put Pine Grove on this list. Um, but like, I was like, man, I want to get as many of my, the albums that were on my album of the year list in this podcast, <laughs> yeah. um, which we've to some degree done like, uh, down in the weeds and, um, uh, and this one marigold was definitely like one of my huge like albums of this year just like so beautiful um there are just so many songs on there that are like i'm not sure what the word i'm what i'm looking for is there but um it felt like exactly what i needed at the start at the start of the year for sure um definitely some standout tracks like no drugs is like a huge like that song is just so fucking beautiful and so fun like when it comes in and it drops and it's like you know the the drums kick in and like going back to that idea of like tone and like the playful tone and playing with people's expectations of how a song sounds and what that song's about and like definitely like they're masters of dynamics obviously and i think that this record they definitely like showcase that like quite a bit to the close of this episode but hey me diana and dante we had a blast hanging out and chatting about dante's new ep on a hotel bed you paid mm -hmm. for and a whole host of other things we <laughs> chatted about over the course of this long conversation Wow, it was a lot of fun. Dante, what's what's next for you? What are you up to right now since this EP is out? I know live music is not happening right now. Are you spending time writing new songs, demoing? What have you been doing and what's next for you? Yeah, so it's a combination of, of a few different things, really. I think uh, I've really got collaboration on my mind right now. Cool. Um, yeah, the, just a couple of different projects. Um, working on a duet project with my roommate, uh, which I'm two different projects actually in two different genres. So looking to explore that. Like I mentioned, um, uh, did a little bit of a super group project that is a little bit under wraps right now until we kind of get our bearings together and start promoting um, what we've done. But we're, we're really excited about um, what we've got coming. Um, and then just kind of just still, as always, trying to figure out what it means to, um, you know, be relevant in, in music at in this very strange, strange world, yeah. figuring out how to get what I've already got out there. Um, who's hand, the figuring noise. out whose hands I got to get it in. And so how say? do we break through the noise? <laughs> exactly figuring out how to break through the noise while kind of my problem is that by the time i release one thing i'm always kind of looking forward to um the songs that i 
written in the meantime and figuring out a place for those songs. So just kind of uh, continuing to write and, and, and seeing where these songs fit while um, just setting up and living out these 9,000 projects that, <laughs> I, that I'm now part of and just kind of, um, you know, holding out until I can get to a place where we as a society can get to a place where I can kind of pursue those, pursue those projects and actually get in a room with those folks and, and write and play those songs. Awesome. Awesome. Well, we're going to play the final track on this four-track EP. Of course, everyone, again, the EP is called On a Hotel Bed You Paid For. You can get it at DanteRobinson.BandCamp.com. Also available on all streaming platforms. The track we're going to hear is called Bastion Blues, parts one and two. Dante, thank you, Diana, my dynamite co-host. Thank you both. <laughs> thank you guys so much for having me. It was indeed a blasty yeah. blast. Wish time with the truth. Whoa.